what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan. The gentleman across the table from me is Chris. Hello, everyone. How are you doing today, Chris? Doing good. Doing good. It's holiday season. Of course, by the time people are listening to this, they'll be kind of in the throes of holidays. We're creeping up on it. But it's a good time as any to start talking about films, which is what we do here on Foot Candle Films. Because traditionally, people, you know, sometimes like to go out to the movies during their holiday breaks with the family or, or maybe on their own. Or settling in at home, watching something on Netflix or other places online, which is why today's show is going to be really good for that, because we are going to be reviewing a film that people can catch in the movie theaters, for at least for the next few weeks, I'm sure. And we're also going to review a film that people can watch right now, today, on Netflix as well. So a lot of choices to work with. Uh, but this is our show here on the TV where we talk about film. Uh, we have some reviews. We go through some a little bit of movie news. I have a few news items to share uh, during this episode. Chris, I'm not sure if you have any to share with us as well. We'll get to that point and see. And then we always cap off the show with kind of our recommendation of a, of a film we think you ought to check out if you have a chance. Whether it's a classic film that we just kind of got brought back to our attention or something that maybe has slipped under the radar or just uh, something we want to bring attention to. So, Chris, today's show, we have two films we're going to be reviewing. First off, we will be reviewing the latest uh, DC Extended Universe. I believe that's the correct nomenclature for it. Okay. Uh, film, which is Justice League, directed by Zack Snyder with, I think, a little bit of help from a Mr. Uh, what's the guy's Joss name? Whedon. Joss Whedon. Sure. He would be the uh, the guy on the other side of the fence with uh, Marvel and the Avengers and all. Right. But Zack Snyder's got uh, sole director credit on this film, so we're going to talk about Justice League in just a moment. Then we're going to follow that up with a review of the latest film on Netflix, a Netflix-produced film, which is Mudbound. And so we'll be talking about both of those films. Then again, news and recommendation to close out the show. Sound like a good plan, Chris? Yes, it does. Let's get right into the first review, which is... The latest superhero epic film from the Warner Brothers DC Universe. It is Justice League. The world remains in mourning after the death of Superman. Violence, acts of war, and terrorism are all on the rise. I had a dream. It was the end of the world. We are not enough. The world needs Superman. We've talked a lot about superhero movies on this podcast. You and I both, you know, to varying degrees like them. I was more of a Batman person. You grew up reading a lot of Spider-Man comic books. Talked, you know, always talk about the movies that are coming down the pipeline too because we hear about them mm-hmm. really early. Like we discussed Thor Ragnarok and we were all excited about that. Discussed that on a previous podcast. I think that was the last episode we did. It was. So there's a lot of superhero films coming out fast and furious. They're absolutely, yes. And that franchise is also going well, apparently, (laughs) as well. Um, But it's not comic book. Um, But with Justice League, we have a movie where, with Batman versus Superman, 
That was the, yes, that was one of the earlier Zack Snyder films. Correct. And he also Mm -hmm. has done the Superman Return. No. That was Batman of Steel. Man of Steel. Thank yes. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the naming always gets a little So tricky. the DC Extended Universe, as far as I'm understanding it right now, is Man of Steel followed by Batman versus Superman. It was Suicide Squad. And now it's this film. So with those films, mm-hmm. uh, you now have Justice League where they had teased in Batman versus Superman. They'd kind of teased. They showed they had Wonder Woman in it. And they that sh- was no tease, Chris. That, that was a flat out, we are making a movie. We are making a movie. Heroes. Justice League is coming regardless of whether you want it to or not. They showed like a little bit of Flash. They showed mm. some cyborgs. So you, you kind of, you, you know, it, it was coming. Um, this movie has been out now for a little bit. Critics have absolutely hated it. It's 41% on Rotten Tomatoes. Audiences are still going to see it. It is making some money. But Alan, um, I'm going to throw down the gauntlet and challenge you to start off our review with positive things that you liked about this movie. Sure. I can do Um, that. We will get to maybe some things that we didn't like as much, but specifically with this film, I feel like this is a good place to start instead of just coming in and blasting the film out of the gate. Mm -hmm. Alan, give me some, give me some things that you like. I can, I can can do better than that. I've, I've run some calculations during the day. My day job is I work with a lot of survey data. I'll work with a lot of data and analysis. So I found a way to actually incorporate some of my skill sets in that area into reviewing this film. Okay. By my calculations, um, 6.7% of this movie was good. Wow. Okay. Because what I did, but let's let's talk about the good. Let's talk <laughs> no, about I'm going to talk part. about these okay. six, this six point seven percent. Okay, basically, it's eight minutes out of the 120 minutes running time. I thought were really good in this film. Okay, so eight minutes I thought were positive, and that calculates when you do the math to six point seven percent of the film. So I'm arguing. Now, granted, the credit sequence is in there, and it's kind of hard to gauge, you know, whether or not credit sequence is really well done or not. So uh, it's a little fudging numbers, but I'm going to say roughly five to seven percent of this film was good, which means the rest of it was not. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Okay. But of the five to seven percent, I thought was good. There were moments of this film that I liked, but everything I'm going to list as far as things, and I'm going to be very vague with these moments because I don't want to be spoilery on stuff, but I will say there were moments that were good, but that's it. There were moments. Like I cannot say there were anything more than these individual moments that were good. I thought there was a couple of moments between some characters uh, throughout the film. You know, we have this new superhero team dynamic and them trying to figure out who each other is and some of that. There are two or three scenes. I'm not going to give too much spoilery information on it. I thought were well done with some of the characters that had some lighthearted conversations. And I think some interesting I'm imagining kind of a Joss Whedon influence scene in a couple of dialogue scenes. Hmm. I totaled up the amount of time that those scenes lasted. And that's how I'm coming up with this eight minutes total. So we've got a scene at the very beginning, Batman sitting on a perch watching a thief. I thought it was a really cool visual. I gave him 10 seconds for that. I thought that was a good shot. (laughs) There's a moment late in the film where we have a certain superhero that I guess I shouldn't say. I mean, everybody knows Superman's in the film, right? I I mean, we can say that. I'm sorry if that was something that upset you that I just told you that, but Superman's in this film. Okay. It's pretty obvious now. They've even rolled him out in all the marketing material. too. There's a moment late in the film, Superman and the cyborg character, I believe having a laugh after they accomplish some task with some boxes. 
I gave them about 20, 30 seconds of good positive vibes on that because I thought it was well done. There was some good banter and laughter. And hmm. I actually felt like they were starting to be a team, which I thought was kind of nice. There's a post credit sequence between Superman and the Flash that I thought was kind of entertaining. I gave them a minute for that. Okay. Um, I gave them five minutes for just Gal Gadot in general because I do think she has her moments in the film that are good. I don't think they use her anywhere as effectively as they do in the Wonder Woman film, but I gave him five minutes credit. I'm like, look, she had five minutes of good screen presence that I liked on the film. There's a scene with Aquaman and Wonder Woman's lasso I won't get into. I thought was funny. I gave him about 30 seconds for that. And then just because I thought it was cool, Aquaman surfing on a demon in the sky, 30 seconds for that. So all told, (laughs) eight minutes. And that's rounding up a little bit. It was really like seven and a half minutes. Eight minutes positive of the film. That's what I got. (laughs) What about you on the positive Um, side? You know, on a positive side, because I really... I mean, we didn't even get into the plot of the film, but it's really... We don't even need to talk about the plot, do we? That's not going to be a positive. Okay, good. So so let me try to hit my positives there again, trying to remain spoiler-free or whatever. Uh, number one positive, you just mentioned it, Gal Gadot. Yeah. Um, as Wonder Woman. She's still good. Oh, she's still good. She is, yeah. She's, she's still, still the good. best she, part of the film. She is still the best part of the film. Yeah. Without her, oh. I like, <laughs> I don't, yeah, this movie. Well, based on my calculations, without her, that would have gone down to two 2%. minutes of positives <laughs> okay. in this 120-minute film. And, okay, so, you know, she is... The light at the end of the tunnel mm-hmm. that is this film, the tunnel of darkness and you know, <laughs> disgustingness and just you know stupidity that made this film. But she is the light that's at the end of the tunnel. So right, Gal Gadot, I'm, I'm getting Woman. the impression you and I are feeling the same way about this film. But please continue. <laughs> so, but I'm trying to focus on the positive. Yeah, so positive. Gal Gadot sure. is Wonder Woman. She is still good. You know, she she's good in this movie. Um, there's a scene where there again it includes Gal Gadot, but she's talking to Batman and he's basically just gotten his butt kicked. Yeah. And he's bruised oh, pretty yeah. significantly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like kind of some of the dialogue they have there and showing weakness in superheroes. Mm-hmm. And that's not in this movie, but I have a hope that, you know, we're comic book nerds. We kind of know some of the storylines of Batman where at some point he kind of retires mm-hmm. and a new Batman comes on and the old Batman just kind of sits and is grumpy in the Batcave and kind of leads the new Batman around and tries to let him kind of take over. In my fantasy world, that's what's going to happen with Batman because he's kind of saying, I'm too old for this. He is gray around the edges on his hair and he gets his butt beat. He is pretty severely bruised. And plus, he's being played by Ben Affleck. I mean, yeah. And I hate to say it, <laughs> Batman is my favorite superhero. You know, I didn't mind. You know, I don't like the movie, but I thought George Clooney was even a fine Batman. He didn't ruin the movie. He was, he was a good script. Bruce Wayne, is my thing. I well, think George Clooney was a really good Bruce Wayne, but yeah, you know, the Batman side of it was out of his control. That was a director. And I, you know, I like decision. I like, of course, I like Michael Keaton, but I've never had a pro- honestly. I've liked some other than others, but I've never had a problem with a Batman that's been cast. Val Kilmer was probably my least favorite just because I just didn't think he brought anything to the part. Ben Affleck's but. terrible in this movie. Oh, I okay, completely let agree. Me, let me reshift. I, yeah. was, I was going down the positive route. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. But, but I'm hoping that actually maybe that's a clever thing where they're trying to get him in the old man sitting in the cave and have a new Batman. So I thought that was an interesting moment. That was a positive. I liked kind of that scene and was kind of surprised that they had that scene in there. A little, scene, a little scene of vulnerability. Okay, yeah. I'll give you that. So, I'll give you another minute for that, sure. Okay, so yeah. Oh, I'm not probably adding minutes. I'm just picking. Yeah, but you I understand. Know, overall, because both of those were Gal Gadot. Um, and I have to say, 
I thought he was underused and but Aquaman, the character of Aquaman, mm-hmm. if you think about the comic books or even the Super Friends cartoon as a kid, Aquaman's kind of silly. Yeah, oh, yeah. And for them to say, nope, we're going to have Aquaman in this movie. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. And I thought the mere fact when they showed him, I mean, they kind of, you know, say, do you talk to animals? You know, there's a little bit of joking there. But at one point they show him underwater. And I thought it was cool how they just said, nope, this is how he moves underwater. And it's basically, it's like he's flying underwater. He's mm-hmm. not like moving his arms really fast, yeah, which would no look kind of silly. Yeah. Or his legs are kicking really fast, which would look kind of silly, kind of like the flash running on you know, underwater. But instead, it's just like he has like a propulsion system that he just can make, you know, water stream mm-hmm. out behind him. And he thrusts forward, kind of like he's getting shot out of a cannonball underwater or something. I thought that was kind of an interesting visual and kind of like, nope, this is just how he happens. This is his power that he can move really fast underwater. And for what it's worth, I thought that was an interesting kind of twist or not twist, but just an interesting variation on the character. Sure. I thought, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, now. Are you done? I, yeah. And I, I really struggled right. as you heard me to be positive, I, but I, but those are some, those are some positives. I will say the biggest soul sucking weakness for me at the middle of this film, which what is really disheartening is that it was the same weakness that was at the middle or at the center of Suicide Squad, and they didn't learn their lesson. Mm-hmm. Any superhero movie has to have a good villain, oh. because that's oh. that's yeah. I mean, you know, that's that's the thing is that you have the good guys, horrible. but you got to have good good guys. But then you have to have a bad guy who's like interesting and feels threatening. Steppenwolf, and maybe you know, just terrible. It's terrible, probably, one of, the, it's terrible. probably one of the worst villains I've ever seen in one of these superhero movies. Yeah, absolutely. Just completely well, uninteresting. Doesn't really is, make a lot of everything that comes out of his mouth is like gobbledygook and well, doesn't really just, make any sense. There was oh, no personality to him. He was just stamped out. Let's have a bad guy who says bad guy things. And he is a CGI character of the entire film, which made yeah. no sense to me. No. Think about how much more effective it would have been to have a really good actor. Just have like Liam Neeson's face yes. there, just doing just you know, playing just, this character. Yeah. At least give him some gravitas with his his presence. Oh, I, I agree. It was one of my top negatives on this. Ugh. I thought the villain was horrible. So uninteresting, horrible, poorly written. Just, I, I just... Well, we never understood so exactly what his purpose was, what he was trying to do, how it was he had all these demon creatures around him. I mean, nothing. Nothing was explained. He just shows up, speaks, says the typical bad guy villain stuff. You know, I'm going to control this world and blah, 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 blah. And, you know... And it's just, that was it. And it was all CGI and it was all like, I felt like I was watching a video game cut scene for half the movie, you know, with him in there and especially. Agreed. I don't understand. And I was, went in hoping because I'd heard people say, well, you know, and even with the 41% Rotten Tomatoes, which we mentioned, people were saying it's not great, but it's better than Batman versus Superman. I wholeheartedly, and I see you're not, I totally disagree with I, that. One of my notes right here is I'll say, I'm not afraid to say it. I liked Batman versus Superman. I like Batman su- versus Superman. Like just so much, like twice as much as I like this movie. I, like I, I just completely really, agree. And I, I really, did not love Batman versus Superman. I had some major issues with it, but at least I felt like there was some moments and elements that worked. Well, I honestly felt like there was almost nothing in this film that worked. I felt like there were, that's the thing is like, because the villain didn't work 
I feel like some of the other stuff didn't work. The interactions between the characters coming together, a lot of that didn't work. But I don't feel like that's the actor's fault. No. I feel like it is the studio's fault for not having patience. Yes. And not trying to develop. Okay. Not trying to let this be the best movie it could be. They forced it down a release path. Well, and they didn't give other characters. They gave Wonder Woman, thank goodness, her own movie. They yeah. teased her in Batman vs Superman. She was there. It was there a lot. But then they gave her her own movie. Good job. Um, they gave Superman his own movie before they put him together with Batman. And actually, I'll give them credit. I think it's a good idea. They skipped a Batman movie, a solo mm. Batman movie with Ben Affleck. We didn't because the whole one. Genesis story. And everybody's like, yeah. "Yeah, we get it." So that was actually smart. Yeah. Now I really wish they would have had a Genesis movie for Cyborg. Yeah. One for Flash. Yep. And one for Aquaman, because then you don't have to worry about trying to establish all that. All this movie is like, nope, okay, these guys are all together now. The first maybe two or three minutes of the movie is them coming together as a team. And then the rest can be the development of why is Steppenwolf a bad guy? Mm. What is he doing? Oh, he's been here before. Like you can well, get like, and I, and I love the rushing moments. So well, I love the moments when they're trying to figure out how to be a team. I thought that was really good. But again, when you're trying to get them to not only introduce the characters and then also try to figure out how to make them a team. Right. It was having to skip so many quick beats and just, I felt like this film, this film was shocking to me <laughs> and how much of a patchwork of a film it yeah. was. It was so obviously stitched together where there were certain scenes that, you know, that they had made that really didn't have anything to do with the rest of the film, but they had already finished the scene. So let's just put it in there. It's a cool scene. I was shocked at how many times I saw individual character reaction shots where they're obviously just them on a green screen looking at the camera or giving some sort of like eye roll or smile or whatever. And you know, they filmed those afterwards Mm -hmm. and just inserted them just to give the film a little bit more personality. It was so stitched together. So just disjointed at times. Hmm. I, I just, I was honestly shocked at the end of the film. I'm like, I really cannot believe that this is the film DC, Warner Brothers, everybody is staking their film career on right now. And they rushed this thing up so quickly and shoddily. Now, I understand Zack Snyder, the director, faced a real family tragedy. We talked about it several yeah. episodes back. News you had to bring in another somebody else to help out. I get that. So obviously it's not going to be the smoothest production in the world. But what you do is you say, you know what? Forget the November uh, 2017 release date. We need some more time to make this right and make this work. Instead, what we got was patched together film with horrible CGI. I mean, yeah. it was just bad to watch half the time. Yeah, not only was the villain not good, but then the CGI that was <sighs> making the villain was bad. So it it's was just, like it was watching nothing. a video game half the time, and not a really good video game. Um, uh. <laughs> I know. Uh. I know. So a couple more things I'll say that I thought were some real issues with the film. Okay. We already spoiled the fact that Superman does come back. They had to me a royal opportunity to make the return of Superman a very dramatic symbolic moment. And they just botched it. I mean, Mm. it was uninspiring. It was, I mean, there was nobody in the crowd I was with was like seeing the slightest bit engaged with the fact. I mean, A, you already knew he was coming back because they had well, already spoiled yeah. that in all the materials. And then B, he comes back and it's like, okay, yep, here he is. And we just brought him back and now he's fighting again and everything's cool after a few minutes of some confusion. And it was just 
very uninspiring. I mean, that's a moment. I thought the death of Superman in the last film, Batman vs. Superman, was pretty uninspiring as well. Mm-hmm. It's like that was a moment where nobody really thought he was dead. Nobody really well, thought he was and gone. at the end of the film, they, they actually have this thing with like yeah. the dirt levitating. So they, and they like knew. Something's going to happen. Yeah. But they just handled – they had an opportunity to make that a really awe-inspiring moment. And they just – they didn't. It was really pathetically done. Um, we already talked about the villain, how horrible that was. The Flash, you know, they give Flash some of the more comedic moments in the film. I like Ezra Miller. I think he had the capability of playing a good Flash, but I also think they made him try way too hard. I think it was way too forced. And I think that's an example of, I think he did a good job, and I've heard people complain or make the criticism that he's basically trying to be the Spider-Man for the the Spider-Man for the Justice League. You know, just because he's doing the whole, I'm the young kid, you know, saying funny things, and I'm kind of the newbie on the block, which I can see that. I think he did a good job, but I think that would have been, I think it would have been better, like I said, if he could have had his solo movie to kind of establish yeah. his whole thing first. Well, here's a big problem with The Flash. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut no. you off. Here's a big problem, I think, with The Whole Flash and why they needed that background story. So I know the Flash's story. I, I'm a fan of the Flash TV show that's on right now. Right. I think the I've I think the it. guy that got playing the Flash is much much better, <laughs> character wise. But you know the whole idea of the Flash is his father is in jail mm-hmm. for a supposed murder of his mother. We all know as comic book readers and even followers of the TV show that he didn't do it. Right, he was framed. It was a whole big thing. But that's never addressed in this film because they're having to cram everything in there. So mm-hmm. all we're told is. Barry Allen has a father who's in prison for killing his mother. But yet then we go to a scene where Barry Allen is visiting his father in prison and they're like having bonding moments. If you didn't know any of the backstory on that, if you hadn't seen, if there had had been a solo flash movie leading up to it, we would have known that. And that scene would have a lot more impact. Otherwise people who didn't know the backstory are probably like, why is he visiting his father in prison who his father killed his mother? Mm -hmm. We all know that didn't happen. Uh, just that he got framed for it. But again, that's rushing so many things up and trying to cram it in this movie. You lose so much of the impact of these scenes. So, and I, the thing, you know, so one of the things I mentioned that gave me a glimmer of hope was that, you know, they had the aging Batman and maybe they were actually going to age Ben Affleck out. So that was one thing. Um, I've read that supposedly uh, 2020, they're going to have flashpoint, that's going to be the next movie is going yeah. to be like it's going to be a solo Flash movie and it's going to be the whole thing where Flash kind of tries to go back and change the fact that his mom mm-hmm. was killed which they've released like an animated version of this that yeah. I've watched and it was actually pretty good and it was a comic book you know, right. story it was also a, big, a, a few yeah, years ago right so that could be good it's just too bad that you know, to try to salvage from this. But the problem is the DC universe in general, and this this movie is a perfect example of it, is just not taking its time to build this stuff out right. right. I got to give it, Marvel did it exactly right. Whether you like the Marvel films or not, I'm sorry, but they did it exactly right. They basically said, we need to give each of these characters time to breathe and get to know them. Then we're going to bring them together and it's going to be a lot more, it's going to be a lot more uh, just effective if we do that. DC is saying, okay, we're going to introduce Superman in one movie. Then the very next movie, we need to have him fighting Batman. Like, we're not, there was never a a movie where Superman was just a hero for the whole movie. Like, Mm -hmm. in Man of Steel, we were still all figuring out who he was, and people thought he was a threat. Then the very next movie they have him, they have him fighting this other hero. They didn't let the whole storyline breathe. And then they're doing the same thing with these other characters. It's just cram them in there, get them up to speed so we can have our big superhero team movie. 
that will lead to other films we can do. Um, Cyborg was poorly, poorly oh. written, boring. That could have been a character where you have a lot of trauma. I mean, this is a supposedly a younger kid right. who's now turned into a half robot, but yet we never got any sense of he's traumatized by the situation or he's trying to fight through and, and, and be, you know, be a good force in the world. We never got any of that. It was all just poorly, poorly played out. Um, Aquaman, I thought had really good potential. I just never understood his, what his purpose was like, what, what is his role? What is he there to do? What is he trying to do? And we never really got a sense of that. So I, uh, and then Batman, it was painfully obvious. Ben Affleck did not want to be in this movie. I honestly feel like just watching him, it was just waltzing through the film. His Batman was just underwritten. He did not put any charisma into the role whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing was, I, I was, I honestly was, I don't get shocked by movies very often how much I feel like they just dropped the ball. But this film, I honestly was shocked at how, how it came together. Well, an interesting comment too, which there again, maybe gives me hope that DC is making an interesting choice. They just do it in a really bad movie. I mentioned the fact that he was bruised. Also the Batman costume doesn't do Ben Affleck any favors. Like he looks like a retired NFL football player that has just, you know, eating like big buckets of chicken and just looks really heavy and just looks just, just, he he looks more like the penguin than he does the Batman. Well, I know when they, when they built his character in the last, that Batman versus Superman, the idea at that point was they were going more for the dark Knight returns Batman, which he's a little stockier. He's older and all that, but yet Ben Affleck isn't a 60 year old guy like, like that, that story plays him as, right. You know, he's still playing a younger, I'd say in the forties version of Batman. Right. It's just, it was a weird mismatch. And I, yeah, they just, the cost, none of the costumes in this film. I mean, there was a shot where all of them are getting off a, a big spaceship and they're all standing in a row. And you're just like, Ugh. I mean, <laughs> they're co- I mean, most of their costumes are just atrocious too. Yeah, flashes. I don't even know what in the world is going on with the flashes costume. But this is a guy that's supposed to be sleek and fast, but yet he looks like a transformer mm-hmm. suit on him. Cyborg was just way too chaotic a costume. I mean, it was just a mess. It was honestly a mess. I get where people are saying that this film is giving them a little bit more hope that maybe things are going in the right direction. Because, yes, it did have some lighter moments. It did have some moments of Which humor. Which people complain Batman versus Superman yeah. was all just dark. So. And I'll admit, when Superman comes back in and after he goes through his little confused moment for a while and he settles in and all, it's the most uplifting Superman I've seen them have since the Christopher Reeve days true where it's like he actually smiling. He seems like he's kind of enjoying what he's doing. He's laughing with his teammates. That gave me that little bit of hope. It's like, okay, maybe this is like the gym where they can actually start to build off of this, but it's just not enough to make this movie anything worth seeing in my mind. So question for you. Yeah. And I didn't understand kind of what they were saying or where it was going or why they did it. And I'm sitting here thinking, and I don't think they ever really, quote-unquote, answered it. Beginning of the movie, they have some kids interviewing Superman on, like, their cell phones. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's obviously humoring them because they're just asking him, like, you know, silly questions and stuff. And then I think they say something along the lines of, like, what's your favorite thing about Earth? Earth. Mm-hmm. 
And like he kind of he stops and just kind of looks off, and then they cut away. And then they cut away, and they never come back to that. They never like answer. What was the point of that? I don't know. Other than to show you, like, hey, Superman's going to be in the movie. Just hold on, and maybe eventually he'll come back, which he does. I don't know. Okay, that that's me in kind of a nutshell. Like, why did you? And that was even. I guarantee that was a scene that was shot later in the reshoots because you can tell with the infamous lip gate. Um, <laughs> Let, let's let's just go ahead and mention that too because that's kind of an interesting thing that I don't get but I kind of heard about he wouldn't shave for the well, movie or they told him he didn't have to he was to. under contract for another film he's doing a oh. Mission Impossible film okay. and he had to have a mustache and he was under contract where he couldn't shave the mustache off but I, they had to call back in for reshoots because when Joss Whedon got involved I think the movie was even more of a mess than what we're seeing so now. So they had to digitally take the mustache away. Yes. So anytime you see that his lip doesn't quite look right for his face, that's a sign that this was a scene that was shot for reshoots. <laughs> mustache. So <can't. laughs> the, the scene you're talking about at the beginning, I, I'm pretty sure when I saw it just last night, I noticed the lip thing was going was was not right. I'm like, oh, so that must have been a late scene that was shot to try to give more emotion or personality to the film or something. I don't know. Um, and then we've got a, I guess a family, you know, in whatever country that the whole Steppenwolf fight starts ending up with. Oh my gosh. Let's please mention that. Okay. That's another big, huge confusion point for me. Okay. So the Superman scene at the beginning was kind of like, uh, okay, don't get it, but at least it disappeared and it didn't continually confound me. Yes. Thank you for mentioning that. Sorry to, but no, no, you're right. I I don't, there's a Russian family. Yep. And they're, you kind of see that their town is being overrun by these like demon things from outer space. But the amount of time they show you they, how that family is like being affected and stuff, I'm like, okay. They come back to like three or four times. Oh, I'm like something, either one of the kids is going to turn out to be a superhero or something. But no. And it's just like, why? We just get a scene of the Flash saving them. Saving them. Late, late in the film, which you could have done without any of those previous scenes. Right. It doesn't really matter. It would have had just as much impact. Yeah. I, I just didn't get that. I don't know. I couldn't. I, I couldn't figure out what they were trying to do with that, or yeah. why it just. Yeah, it just doesn't. No, doesn't I'm, make I'm, sense. You and I are on the same page with this. I thought this was a mess of a film. Um, in it, in, in every mo- every time, like one of those six or seven moments I mentioned on the positives, that it started to kind of say, "Oh, here was something kind of cool." It just immediately undercut it most of the time. I mean, even you know, walking out with my teenage son afterwards, mm-hmm. you know, he even said at the very beginning, he's like, "Well, I didn't even understand at the beginning of the movie." what the whole deal was with Batman and this demon thing that he was fighting and what, you know, and he, we were trying to even talk through like the mechanics of that scene. I'm like, yeah, I don't really get it either. I don't understand what was happening there. If that's happening in the first five minutes of the movie, I'm like, that's a problem. You, you know, you're on the wrong path already. So yeah, it's a mess. Um, I would say too, we talked about how Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman was kind of the shining light. So sad though. That a lot of the goodwill they built up with Wonder Woman and how they were portraying women and how, you know, they were handling all that. And then they put her in this movie and they treat her more like eye candy a lot oh, of yeah. times. Yeah, so disappointing. Well, there's even – this is not just controversy on my behalf. This is online where the Amazon women that we do spend some time with, if you look at photographs of how their their clothing is now compared to how their clothing was in the Wonder Woman movie, it's a lot more scantily dressed now, which is like, okay, come on, you know, just yeah, I agree. It was it was it was obvious obvious enough to even if I hadn't read stuff about it leading in the film, it was very obvious from it. I uh, 
very just I went in with low expectations and it met those low expectations. Yeah. I mean, it did. I was really hoping it would find something good. The only thing I can say positive coming out of it is if somebody else took the Henry Cavill Superman character that we saw in the last 20 minutes of this mm-hmm. film and made a new movie with him, I actually think he's got the potential to be I, pretty good because I think he's shown in the last few scenes. Oh, yeah. He's the best I've seen him play Superman. No, if, yeah, if you're going to have Superman, I, the hope that I came out of this was I think there's potential for good solo movies. Yeah. But don't yeah, I don't I don't care to see another Justice League movie right now. Well, you know. all I care about is and again, I put all of it it's not the characters, it's not anything about the team dynamic. It is truly writing and directing. Writing, yeah. If they're going to make another uh, Justice League movie, it cannot be written by the same people who wrote this one and it cannot be, I'm sorry, but Zack Snyder He's cashed out all of his chips in my book right now. I mean, I, I it's diminishing returns every movie I see that he's involved in at this point. So, sure. Um, whew, okay, did we give that one enough of a thrashing? I think so. We tried to mention some positives, but no, no. I gave, I talked about my six point seven percent. I thought was good. <laughs> so the other ninety three point three percent, unfortunately, not. So that is Justice League. Chris and I not recommending you go spend your time. There are a lot better ways to spend two hours of your time uh, this holiday season. And it's also not performing very well at the box office. So it probably will not be at the theaters quite as long as maybe a lot of people anticipated anyway. All right, let's flip over and talk about a different, very, very different film. This is a film that was released exclusively through Netflix. It is the film Mudbound. They work this land all they lie. I used to walk away from the fight. I know more. This land that never would be theirs. You don't need to go, Jamie. I can't stay here. They work until they sweat it. You'll be okay. They sweat it until they bleed. They bleed until they die. Died clawing at the heart. Brown back. That would never be theirs. The film Mudbound by director D. Rees. Tells the story of two men who come back from World War II to work on a farm in rural Mississippi. Uh, as they come back in, we're following both families throughout the whole film uh, that belong to these two soldiers. And we're seeing the dynamics between these two families as basically it's a white family and a black family that share some common land out in rural Mississippi where there's racial tension. Obviously, this is in 1940s, 1950s, uh, rural Mississippi. And we're following these characters through a period of time while the two are away from war and also in the time that they come back from war. Chris, this is a film that I want to say it flies under the radar because I'll give you my example. You know, I knew we were going to review this film. I had read about it and heard some good things about it going on Netflix. It took me a few minutes to find it. I mean, it's not something where they have a big banner up and they're promoting it. I mean, they were already on the next movie. Sure. This film maybe got two or three days of promotion by Netflix. So I do consider it a flying under the radar film. And I don't think a lot of people are going to catch up on it just because it's not front and center. There's no theatrical release. It is basically throw it up on Netflix and hope people find it. Right. But you look at the list of this cast list. I mean, Carrie Mulligan plays uh, the wife of... One of the families we're, we're talking about, Garrett Hedlund plays the brother of one of the men in the family. Jason Clark plays that, that brother, Henry McAllen. We've got Jonathan Banks as their father, the two brothers' father. 
uh, Mary J. Blige, the R&B singer, playing a role as Florence Jackson with the other family, and then Rob Morgan playing her husband, Hap. Um, some really good actors and some good good mix of talent here. So my question to you is, um, knowing that it may take a little bit effort to go find this on Netflix, and it's not just going to be quick and easy, and it's going to take a little bit of effort to to bring it up on your TV is it worth the time for people to do that if they have a Netflix subscription? Or even better, is this a reason to go ahead and plunk down the 8 or $9 a month to see a film like this? Well, um, I would say yes. Okay. Uh, I thought this movie was really good. It's a shame. I mean, I, I already subscribed to Netflix, so it's like I get the movie for free because <laughs> I already have it anyway. Um, it's a shame that it hasn't gotten more attention. Um, because, But I can see how people buying up movies, they're like, yeah – you know, it's a movie about racial tension. It's going to be set in the South, but then it also has this World War II aspect. I can see maybe people thought, okay, this film is trying to do too much and doesn't have big enough stars. Like, let's say instead of Garrett Hedlund, you had Matt Damon or something. Like, you know, it's just, yeah. I don't know. And I think because they're of that. They're not A-list celebrities, but, you right, know, I mean, but they are B. They're I mean, big. They're, they're, I mean, you yeah. know, Carrie Mulligan. But I think, yeah, just... It didn't quite have, and the director's not in a really established name, so it didn't quite have the push, But um, which is too bad because I think it's really good. I think what is refreshing about it is that it's not just a movie about racism in the South because um, those movies are important. We've had lots of them, but this is unique in that it kind of combines racism in the South with going off to war and veterans coming back and that to me, the combination of those two made for a more interesting movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really you know, surprised that I, I liked it as much. Plus they did something with a kind of a, the storytelling device where the opening scene is the two brothers, the McAllen brothers bearing their father. So I'm mm-hmm. not ruining anything. Um, their father who, you know, you mentioned is played by Jonathan Banks, which I know him from better call Saul. He's Mike mm-hmm. Trout. So it was, yes. it was really neat to see him in something else because I'd only seen him in breaking bad and better yeah. call Saul. Um, but the, one of the opening scene is they're digging a grave and burying him. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the movie is kind of leads up to leads up to that event. And I just thought that was a really kind of unique storytelling device that I wasn't expecting. You know, I was expecting this to be a much more straightforward mm-hmm. telling of, you know, racism in the South or something like that. And it, and it wasn't, and there are even flashbacks to the time that both gentlemen spent, uh, Jamie McAllen played by Garrett Hedlund, um, his time as a pilot, there are flashbacks to that. And you see like his experience with war. And then there's also Ronsel Jackson, who's the, African-American son who they're, you know, like you said, they're farmers, but played by Jason Mitchell. And he is a tank sergeant or tank mm-hmm. driver or whatever over in World War II. And their flashbacks to that and kind of their parallel experiences in war and how they felt as soldiers. And then their parallel experiences coming back and trying to fit back in with society. So much more going on in this film than I thought going in. Mm-hmm. So it was just very rewarding for me. How do you, what's your take on it? Um, I think if Netflix had marketed this film more aggressively and gotten in a theatrical run, uh, this film could stand as almost a gun with the wind hmm. for our generation. Wow. Okay. And that I got the same feel from what I think you look at a film like gone with the wind and this sweeping epic, but it's following these families and there's the, the, the shadow of war around them. 
and they're dealing with not only the war, but they're dealing with relationships, they're dealing with status in the, their community. This very much for me is hitting right along those same beats. But um, do you like it better than Gone with the Wind? I do. Okay. I do. I, I'm not a great fan of Gone with the Wind. <laughs> right. I love this film. I thought okay. this film was incredibly powerful, um, much, much better than I expected it to. Um, the 6.7% I gave Justice League good. The other 93.3% I'll give over to this film because okay. I, I really love just about every element of this film. Um, it just we don't have many sweeping epics and I, I hate even using the word epic because this is a really small movie, but yet if you think about it, it does reach into the war and it does carry all these different storylines. So when you really sit back and look at it, you're like, it was a pretty big, big movie. Sure. Even though the central focus were these two small families. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think they did a wonderful job of intercutting these two families and their, their family members and what was happening and transpiring between them at the same time. It was fascinating to me to see the inner relationship between these two families where this is a time period where, you know, slavery is no longer around, but yet there's kind of this implied we're white people and we kind of have ownership of what you guys do mm-hmm. as African-Americans, even though it's not a legal thing to own. If we ask anymore. you to help us do something, it's you expected you're going to do it. Yeah. And it's like seeing that tension mark, but then at the same time, seeing how each of them depended on each other mm-hmm. was really interesting. And it was just, uh, yeah, really, really well done film. Um, I thought the acting was strong across the board. I will say, I think probably my favorite uh, out of it was Rob Morgan playing Hap Jackson, the, really? the father of the African-American family. I thought Which he was he's really not, good. Yeah, he's a very side, but he does have... It's some, a very underplayed role, but sure. I think he just had the right presence and just it just worked for me. Okay. I thought Mary J. Blige was good. I've I never seen her act was. before, but she was really good in this. She was really she good. She played the, the strong, very, very just strong-willed woman, a mother matriarch of the family. Um all of them were good. And I'm not a big fan of, of Garrett Hedlund, but I thought he was really good in his role as Jamie, the kind of the little more self-assured guy, a brother going off to war and comes back a very different rattled man. And, uh, all told, I, I really thought this was a good film. I, yeah. I really was impressed with how strong it was. And, you know, films come out all the time about, racism in our country and kind of looking back to our past to help understand the causes of racism, the root of racism and and, and all that 12 years a slave, you know, a few years ago was a good example of that. This film to me though, I mean, if you want to try, if you have to pin all your hopes on trying to help end racism on one piece of art. Wow. I think this film's actually got the decent chance of doing the most, the most impact just because I think it's the most eye opening. Hmm. to really understand what relationships were like even post slavery in a time period where our country was still trying to figure out how we're all going to work together. Well, and I, what I was also pleasantly surprised, um, you know, this, the film is heavy and going into it, you know, I kind of dreaded watching it because I was like, Oh, it's going to be, you know, about racism and it's going to be really heavy and really depressing. And it is heavy, but I like you're saying, I feel like it, it strives to provide hope mm-hmm. and like what you're saying to, you know, talk about racism and throw it out there. And I was dreading going in because of they're digging the grave in the first minutes and you see, and it, they come across slave bones and you're like, Oh, you know, we can't bury our father here because it's a slave grave, you know, slave mass grave. And you're just like, Oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to be spending the next two hours with these people. 
And I was afraid that it was going to be in terms where all of the white people that were going to be portrayed were going to be like just evil. Right. And, you know, I was like, oh, man, this is going to be this is going to be hard to go through. And some of the white people were obviously, you know, twisted and bad. But they did give a glimmer of hope where, no, some people did try to help, mm-hmm. did try to be more enlightened and did try to see yeah. how, you know, they should try to help each other. So that was that I didn't expect that. And sure. man, towards the end of the film, there's a scene with Garrett Hedlund as Jamie McAllen and uh, the uh, what's the other guy's name? Um the other, his like Ron, Ron Sell, Ron, yeah, Ron yeah, Sell Jackson, Ron Sell played Jackson. by Jason Mitchell, and there's a scene involving the two of them and the KKK. <sighs> and my goodness, Twelve Years a Slave had some really brutal moments in it because you you referenced that that whole stuff with the KKK that was just oh, it was, as brutal. It, it was, was so agonizing. agonizingly um, brutal. I I couldn't wait for that to be over yeah. <laughs> because it was so hard to watch. But they handled it as tastefully as they could do. Oh, yeah, but, no, sure. Man. But it's just you you just know you're more uh, upset about the situation and more yeah. traumatized by you know what's going on. And, you know, that was happening. I right. mean, if, this was not, over, unfortunately, an over-dramatization. I mean, no, this was stuff like that. This is happening. And it's that's why I say it's probably one of the more eye-opening films to really give people an insight into what life was like during this time period. Because I think a lot of people think, oh, you know, when slavery got abolished, Everything's cool Everything for a while, happy, right? but no, everything was not cool. It was really, really still bad. And, uh, I don't, I think the film did a really good job of, of shedding a light on that without being preachy. It didn't go over the top uh, being over sentimental, over, over, uh, message driven. It just said, here's the situation. Here's what families were going through. Here's what a situation like this was like. Back do you, in this time do you feel like, um, without spoiling things, the end of the film has some nice resolution moments for characters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you feel like that was earned or do you think that was maybe a little forced at the end that things ended on a up note as much as they did? Um, I think overall it was earned. Okay. Um, I will say I had a couple of my only issues with sure. the film and the ending was a little bit of that. I felt like after we got past this really, you know, very traumatic ending scenes, the kind of the epilogue, the little scenes afterwards, I mm-hmm. thought were not as fleshed out as well. And I, I feel like I wanted a little bit more from those endings than I got. So I felt like it was a little quick, a little rushed, a little, let's just kind of button up these two or three storylines and that's it. Sure. So I wish the ending had been a little better paced and a little more rewarding, I guess, for, for the, the previous two hours. The only other thing I'll say is, uh, you know, there's a, there's a relationship of some degree between Garrett Hedlund's character, Jamie, and Carrie Mulligan's character, Laura, that I just didn't feel like paid off. I felt like there were scenes that was building this relationship, and there was a moment, obviously, where that relationship went to a different level, went to a different spot, and it just had really had no real bearing they or did, impact on the film. Right, they didn't really show the outcome of what had happened. Yeah, And it didn't really make any – there was no impact on the story. So it's like, why even go down that route unless – I thought there was something that they were going to, I thought they were going to explore a certain plot development and they didn't. Right. And that was a little bit of a head scratcher. Like why, why did, why did you even include that if it wasn't going to impact the story in any way that that's time that could have been much better used in other ways. Sure. But that's, you know, that was more of a me personally, I would have liked to seen that handled differently and I'd like to see the ending fleshed out a little bit more, but that's it. That's all I had. I mean, 
I'll, I'll put it this way, Chris. You know how big a UNC Carolina basketball fan that I am? <laughs> I do. And there was a basketball game on that was playing in the West Coast. So it didn't start till 1130 uh, the night I was watching this. Okay. I started this film at about 930, 945. I'm like, well, I'm going to watch it. And then I'll stop it when the game comes on 1130. And I'll come back and follow it up later. I missed half the Carolina basketball game <laughs> watching the rest okay. of this movie because that's pretty I good. was sucked in. So that's that's my highest recommendation. That's I can pretty good give recommendation. Yeah. So one more piece I'll say sure. uh, a character in the film that I, I know is not going to get any recognition, but should the mud, the mud in this film. I mean, the name Mudbound, Mudbound. but mm-hmm. the, just the setting and just this is not a pretty film. Mm but the mud is everywhere. I mean, it's just, I know there's symbolism to it. It's just, just both families are constantly caked in mud and surrounded by mud. And it's just, but I mean, the way they shot it and the way that just became almost like a part of the characters, I thought was really well done. Well, and yeah, to me too, showing a part of history that we've seen several times before on film, but kind of that unique perspective that we've already mentioned about how the war side plus the slavery side, but then you have, instead of having the African-American family being the poor family and the white family being the, you know, oh, they're just really wealthy. No, they were both pretty they're, bad off. I mean, struggling to survive. They were in the Battling same the elements, elements. The African-American family was struggling to make their farming work. And the white family was having just as much problems. It was just like, you know, it was all they could do to barely survive. And mm-hmm. so that was interesting to see. And they, like you said, it did show them having to work together at some points and, yeah, it was just really interesting. But yeah, the mud, the mud that they should get a best supporting. <laughs> I, I felt like actor. I needed to take a shower after watching the yeah. movie because I just felt like I was caked in it as well. So um, I, I thought this was a really good and a really important film. And I I'm, even though I love what Netflix is doing with getting us access to great films that we can watch a lot quicker and easier than we could have through a, a limited theatrical release. I am. It is a shame that this film is not going to get more attention because it is nested somewhere deep in that Netflix queue list. That's just not going to get that audience. I think it it deserves. Well, and I think a great companion piece to watch with this movie and this movie will get much more notoriety already has had notoriety and it'll probably be the only one remembered at Oscar time. And this one probably won't, but an interesting double feature would be very long um, would be Dunkirk and Mudbound, yeah, um, because sure. it's you know similar things about you know the war and the effects it takes on people and bringing it down to a personal level. Um, so, but yeah, it's it's a shame that Mudbound won't get more. Exposure. I completely agree. I I really admired this film. Thought it was great and uh, very. You know, it's another one of those directors now with D. Rees. I'm very interested to see. I know she did the film Bessie that had a uh, Queen Latifah in it that mm-hmm. I think went straight to HBO maybe a year or two ago. It was well received. It was a good film. Uh, so I'm anxious to see what she tackles next because this is a very, very well done, grand, epic film that I did not expect as much from. So, great. All right, so that's our two films. Uh, Mudbound, we do recommend you go see. Justice League, not, not so much. So, much. <laughs> uh, so with that, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we have some movie news items to share. And we'll also wrap up the show with our recommendations of the episode. So stay tuned. This is Foot Candle Films. We'll be back in just a moment. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. 
All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. As a reminder, TheMesh.TV is an online network that is available to you and anyone else in the world to listen to content that is created through our network. Uh, these are shows, we call them podcasts. The idea that you can actually subscribe to these shows and have new episodes downloaded to you automatically is what makes it a little bit different than just watching videos on YouTube or listening to things online. If you go to TheMesh.TV, and that is the website www.TheMesh.TV, you can go and see all the shows available on the network for free. We have everything from a fantasy football show to show about entrepreneurs and starting a business to shows like ours, Put Candle Films. You can listen to any individual episodes or you can go and subscribe to it to make sure you get all new episodes delivered to you. We also encourage you to visit us on Apple iTunes store on the podcast store there. Again, searching for the mesh or searching for foot candle or anything else. You can find all back episodes and listen to your heart's desire. So we do, uh, we'll give you some ideas on the end of the show of how you can reach out to us and contact us, but we do encourage you to visit the mesh website and check out some of the content available for your listening pleasure. I'm actually going to give a shout out to another show here on the mesh, mm-hmm. the entrepreneur exchange. Yes. We will be guesting on that show. That's right. So it's a crossover you, a crossover. <laughs> so if you feel like you're not quite getting enough geek talk or movie talk on this episode of foot candle films, don't worry. The upcoming entrepreneur exchange, we're going to be on there talking about, it's kind of our annual thing. Actually, we talk with them about business lessons for the, that we may have gotten from movies. And it's just, it's a fun discussion. I think this is third or fourth time we've done it. I want to say it's fourth year. Okay. So, you fourth know, you can listen it. to this on plus, if you've never listened to the other episodes, um, you can go back to the archive and find those, uh, holiday movie talk. Yeah. It's, it's, well. it's, yeah, it's a great, it's a great concept. It's yeah. films we, you should check out over the holidays that have something to do with business. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of business lessons from a, a wide assortment of films. So, yeah, we have at least three years back history of giving some recommendations, along with the co-host of that show, uh, Jeff and Gary. They give their recommendations as well. So it's a lot of films that we're uh, generating on list, and we will have some new ones to share with you this year as well. So we do encourage you to check out Entrepreneur Exchange on the mesh.tv that episode should be available during the month of December. All right, Chris, let's go ahead and hit some movie news and um, kind of a, a mixed, interesting bag of, of news items to discuss with you. We're not all going to talk about comic book movies? No, no. Actually, I'm, I'm intentionally <laughs> steering away from comic book movies. Fair enough. Because I think we did our fill in the first 20 minutes of the show. Sure. Um, no, but you know what time it is? Time of the year it is? It's um, time for our ongoing update on the Terry Gilliam film, hey, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. I heard it's actually coming out in 2018. Uh, yes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Supposedly. <laughs> sure. Um, well, D- Terry Gilliam, uh, just as a little background in case you haven't heard us giving our periodic updates on this film probably every several months whenever we hear something. This is the long-running film that Terry Gilliam has been desperately trying to make. The Man Who Killed Don Quixote for years now, even to the point where they made a documentary about a failed attempt to make this film with Johnny Depp about seven, eight, nine years ago. It's great document, Man of the Macho. It is. Yeah. It is a good documentary, but unfortunately it's a painful reminder that this movie is still not here. Right. Um, So Terry Gilliam put up a post on, I guess, a blog or website just this week, letting us know that we're really close. 
I think the words he said there is that we've almost finished the cut. We're just fiddling with it now, figuring out a few things. We've still got months of work to do on the visual effects, sound, and music. But as far as the tale, it's pretty tight right now, and it's surprisingly wonderful. <laughs> surprisingly wonderful. He says, I always- The quote by the director, <laughs> can that be the surprisingly wonderful? I'm actually surprised it's good. <laughs> well, he, he counters that with saying, I always hesitate to get too optimistic or sure. too excited about uh, the work I'm doing. I'd rather try to stay cynical and slightly distant from it. But when you fall in love with something, it's painful when it doesn't work for everybody else. But all the people who've seen it so far, they've used the words, quote, we're in love with this. So let's see if they're right. I love that post just oh, because that's yeah. a very yeah. honest, open yeah. assessment of where they are. Um, Nobody this, sets out to make a bad film. Right, know? exactly. So, yeah. so this film will star Michael Palin as the title role, Don Quixote. And it also stars Adam Driver. I think um, that is great casting on both I agree. Those. Adam Driver will be playing a director that films commercials. He finds an old student movie that he shot based on the Don Quixote story. He travels back to the old Spanish village where he shot it and then gets pulled into his own uh, misadventure with Mr. Quixote. So I think it sounds great. I think it sounds great. Very excited. But it will be one of the longest running in production films I think I've ever heard of happening. So yeah, we're close. 2018. <laughs> 2018. So yeah, I, I, and I really, I liked Harry Gilliam. He's made a lot of interesting films. He made Fisher King. He made Time Bandits. Yeah. <laughs> he made um, 12 Monkeys. Like he's just done a lot of really, unfortunately, the last two that I can think that he made, one was Tideland, which yeah. is just very troubling, mm-hmm. interesting visually, but very troubling. And then, um, the, the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, yes. which was troubled because of Heath Ledger passing away. Then he um, also did the one with, uh, oh gosh, I'm oh, drawing a blank on the name, but it had a... Uh, the Quantum Theory yeah, or something like that. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah, and with it had, um, um, Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz. And that one, yeah, didn't quite work for me as well. Yeah. But, I, you know, I obviously I'm a huge fan of his. I see everything mm-hmm. he does. But I'm, I'm, really, I'm really hoping this is kind of a return for him where people like it. Like he says, you know, he wants people to like it. And um, I'm, I'm hoping this is it for him. Cause I really like his work. I so. completely agree. I, I, I think we have enough emotional investment in this film at this point that we, we, it, we have to see it when it comes out and I hope it's good. Although it's the whole thing we've talked about a million times on the show because he'd been waiting so long. Expectations are just, but you know, I think this is different. My oh, expectations yeah? are not that it's going to be a great movie because okay. I know how long it's taken to make it work and all the trials and tribulations. I just want to see it be a good, decent movie. Decent. If it comes out to be really awesome, that's great. That'll be a wonderful surprise. So I'm just, I will be more just satisfied seeing, paying a ticket, going to a movie theater and actually getting to watch his film that I know he's worked on for so long. So even if it's not great, I'll be okay with that. You just it's want just to see it finally come effort. out. Yeah. I got you. I want to see the finished effort. Yeah. All right. So Chris, um, I'm going to dance around this a little bit because I do not want to get into the, the, the whole situation with all the sexual harassment stuff going on in Hollywood right now. All sure. the, all the, the claims and the allegations and the, the people, I, I don't want to get into that because I know it's a whole hotbed of, of controversy and topic and all that. Obviously, there's some big actors that have been affected by some 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 of the accusations, horrible accusations in many cases that these actors have done, and it's really just torpedoed their career. And in many cases, I think rightfully so. I'll um, have to say, I'm really, I live in kind of a bubble, I guess, mm-hmm. and I really thought, I mean, I guess like many people, 
you knew that some of this stuff was probably going on because you hear stories about it, but I never imagined yeah. it was actually as widespread as it was. So it's just, I think that's the shocking thing for me too is yeah, again, I think it's, it's Hollywood's getting a little bit of its comeuppance on the kind of behavior that's which been allowed it's, to have. it's just good. It's just so bad that it was there for so long. And I, know. I, I thought, I thought more of that kind of stuff happened like 50, the, 60, yeah. 70. Like I didn't think that stuff was still could still happen now, but unfortunately apparently it, it does. But let me kind of steer our conversation. Just talking sure. about more something on a production filmmaking side. Sure. One of the most interesting outcomes, sad, but interesting outcomes of all this recently is Ridley Scott has a film coming out in December called All the Money in the World uh, that had Kevin Spacey in a very prominent role as uh, uh, Rockefeller, I believe. Um, okay. Um, playing, you know, the real the real guy. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll double check that and make sure I've got my, my, my history right on that. But he's heavy in makeup. He's playing a much older character than he really was at the time. Okay. That film is slated to come out December 22nd. At the time of the allegations and when they were all surfaced against Kevin Spacey, he was basically, you know, you know, fired from House of Cards and other projects he was doing. Sure. And the decision was made that they were going to replace Kevin Spacey in this film. This is early November. The film comes out November 22nd. And he's not just a like bit cameo part. I mean, he is a full-fledged supporting part of this film. Wow. So they made the decision that they are going to replace him with Christopher Plummer. Hmm. Christopher Plummer got brought in and is basically redoing all the scenes that Kevin Spacey was in. Now, they said, and I'm always interested in this from a production standpoint. I'm just curious how I this mean, all works. I know works. they can replace Henry Cavill's mustache with – make his mustache disappear for Superman. <laughs> but, yeah, this seems like that times – a hundred million. Like I can't imagine the headaches. Of and I'm it. sorry. It's not Rockefeller. He's playing, he's playing a billionaire J, uh, J Paul Getty. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. My, my apologies. This is a, a different storyline than what I was thinking it was. Um, they did comment, uh, talking to the production team about how they had contemplated whether they did digital, uh, putting Christopher Plummer in digitally instead uh, of having to bring all the actors back in. Right. Their biggest concern is they just didn't feel like it would match lighting and everything. They just say it's really difficult to do, which I agree. I, I could see that being a, a challenge. You don't want to pull, pull people out of the movie every time this one character is on the screen. Hmm. But even though the scenes are very, a lot of just dialogue scenes, they're still having to bring in Mark Wahlberg and Michelle Williams wow. back into this, the, the wow. to, to reshoot these scenes. And again, I, I'm stressing again, this was early November. This started and the film comes out like in theaters December 22nd. I don't see how, I don't see how they're doing it. No, it's just, they felt strongly enough that, that having Kevin Spacey involved in the production was going to negatively impact this film so much that they're worth putting in millions of dollars to have this redone and rush up to have it ready for that, still that December date. So Hmm. interesting times we're living in right now, especially in the Hollywood, uh, the way Hollywood's kind of, uh, the situations they're going through right now and the things that are, coming out and being handled more effectively than they have been in quite a while. Hmm. But it is interesting when you see it affecting production specifically. So, yeah, yeah. I just, it's amazing to think they can get it done, but yes, we will see uh, the magic of digital cinema these days. I mean, you can get some stuff reedited and reinserted pretty quickly and you don't have to worry about printing massive amounts of film stock anymore. It's just digital distribution. I sure, I'm sure it shortens the amount of time they have. Uh, to get it out or they, they gives them a little more time than they would have had otherwise. Well, I'm going to, I'm not going to give a comic book news item, 
but I'm going to give something that refers to that. Okay. Uh, Taika Waititi, who is the director of Thor Ragnarok, yes. and we talked about the other movies he's made. He's got a movie coming out. I think it's scheduled 2019. But have you heard what his next movie is going to be? Mm-hmm. I believe it's his next movie because I think it's coming okay. out in 2019. Um, it's entitled Bubbles. What? Bubbles. 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 B-U-B-B-L-E-S. Yes. yes. Does that? What would you think that would possibly so be? So is about? it about Michael Jackson? Yes. Wow. It's and about Michael it Jackson's is, monkey? Yes. It's told all from the perspective of the monkey. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm so sold. in. I'm sold. <laughs> Fand- yep. Can I already buy a ticket on Fandango now or is that? <laughs> no, I don't think so yet. But I heard about that and I was like, okay, yep. that's going to be interesting. Uh, that'll and work it's like for me. the monkey. I, I don't know if it starts like monkey in the rainforest, getting, but like I think it's all like bubbles. bubbles. It's all like from his thing. And I'm just um. like. So there, bring I think. It. Yeah, bring it. Because if anybody could do it, Taika Waititi no, could do the right, it. He's got the and, right, uh, uh, he, yeah, he's got the right approach to have for a film like that. Yep. So that, just throwing that out there, that's the next film that I've heard that he's doing. Awesome. I'm excited about it. Well, let me throw out a film I'm excited about. That sure. A teaser trailer just came out this week. Um, I have been less than enamored with Pixar films in the last several years. Hmm. Um, they went through, I think, their heyday the, the, you know, kind of in the uh, Finding Nemo sure. period of time, the, you know, obviously the Toy Stories and all. It's, I have not gotten as ex- interested or enjoying any Pixar films in quite some time. But The Incredibles was still <laughs> one of my all-time favorite films. It's probably in the top 12 to 15 of all favorite films of mine. Really? Oh, yeah. I love it. I okay. absolutely love it. I think it, it did the classic it was the closest thing we had to a really good Fantastic Four movie at any given time. It was the best family <laughs> family superhero action with the retro style, kind of mm-hmm. just everything worked for it. So they did make a, they are making a sequel, which normally gets me a little worried. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I'm ready. I have not been a fan of a lot of Pixar films lately, so I want some of that magic to come back. All the same cast coming back. Uh, they put out a teaser trailer. Teaser trailer doesn't really tell you a lot. But that's fine. I just need to know that in sometime in 2018. You don't really want to know a lot. I don't really want to yeah. know. Sometime in 2018, there will be a The Incredibles 2. And I'm all for it. Let's, see. Let's do it. I'm ready to see that film. And okay. uh, so I'm excited about that. All right. So that's our news items. So I think we got some interesting things going on in Hollywood these days. Chris, I'm gonna, I, I want to do this as like a homework assignment. Okay. Because I don't want to spend a lot of time on the episode today talking through it. But it is something I want to pose a question. Does it have a due date? No, 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 but just let's just plan on sometime in the next couple of episodes. I'll try to bring it back up. But I want to just have you start thinking about it. And I'd like our listeners to also chime in as well, too. Okay. I'm worried about someone. I'm worried about Michael Fassbender. (laughs) Mm. Um, I read an article the other day that was kind of an eye-opening thing. Rotten Tomatoes put together like a list for the Thanksgiving season. Are you worried just because of the snowman? I'm worried for a lot of reasons. Okay. Um, Rotten Tomatoes put together a list of the 24 biggest movie turkeys kind of in lieu of Thanksgiving this week. And all, Got you. Which I'm always kind of eager to read those lists and see what they consider to be movie turkeys, you <laughs> sure. know, big bombs. So 24 movie turkeys of any time that they considered. Mr. Fassbender's in three of them. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Uh, the Snowman most recently. Uh, Assassin's Creed. Oh, Yes. Um, the I, Counselor, the Ridley Scott movie from a few years ago. That I, was like okay. a big budget movie that really. Yeah, uh, I've seen it. I've seen I've actually all the turkeys so far, except for the snowman. Um, I've seen. I saw Assassin's Creed was 
terrible. Well, I think I said it was my worst movie of last year. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at the movies he's done over the last several years, you have your few standouts, 12 Years a Slave, mm-hmm. Shame. Um, you could argue that Jobs was a good movie. It just didn't make any money. Yeah. But beyond that, it's... But I mean, his work in the X-Men movie's been fine. Well, okay, fine. But uh, X-Men Apocalypse was a horrible movie. Well, not um, because of his fault, but right. yes, that was a terrible movie. The Snowman, Alien Covenant, which I thought was fine, but you did not like. Assassin's no, Creed. No, but he was fine. He was. He was fine. okay yeah, in it. Yeah. But I'm still saying like career wise. I'm sure, talking like more sure. looking at his career, his career choices right now. The Snowman, Alien Covenant, Assassin's Creed. He did Macbeth, which I think was well received by critics, but mm, made nobody no money. saw it. Sure. The Light Between Oceans kind of didn't really perform anything either. That movie, to me, have not seen it. Just the title is boring. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like I can't. Well, he even worked with Terrence Malick on Song to Song, which yeah, nobody which, really liked. Right. The Counselor with Ridley Scott did not, it was a, considered a turkey. Right. Uh, jobs, critically okay, but no money. I mean, even going further back, he did Jonah Hex with the, D, you know, uh, like. Wow. Oh, yeah. He was the villain in Jonah Hex. I think I'd forgotten that. Okay. So. Huh. He he's done a couple interesting movies. I mean, you know, he did Frank, which I thought was really good. Yeah, Granted, been making good. money, but wasn't really a money making movie to begin with. Right. But overall, this is like one of my favorite actors, and there's not a lot for me to hang on to. It's like what he's doing right now. Hmm. So that's our homework assignment. I just want I want you to respond right now. Let's okay. just plan on following that back up after the holidays. <laughs> Are we worried about Michael Fassbender? And I'd like to find out is he working on anything at all that sounds interesting as a project? Because I can't find anything he's working on right now. Hmm. So I am a little worried. I'm hoping the the critical bombing of the snowman didn't just like make him want to step away from Hollywood for a while. But I at least think that maybe he needs a new manager or something to get him some better projects. So Anyway, I'm worried about Michael Fassbender. That's our homework. How do we feel? What 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 can we learn that makes us feel better about where Fassbender is going with his career choices? Okay, so with that, let's flip over and talk about our recommendation for the episode. And we're doing a little bit different this time in that Chris and I found out that we actually have the same film. Chris, do you want to uh, kind of – this is our recommendation that we give to listeners as far as a film we think you ought to check out. It just so happens Chris and I were going to recommend the same one. So, Chris – how about you take it away and tell them what your recommendation is? Well, and actually, coming off what you just were talking about for Michael Fassbender, I don't think there's a better segue into choosing what's going to be our listener recommendation because of with Fassbender, you have somebody who you're feeling like maybe he's you know he's going through a really interesting period right now. His movies haven't worked out. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting. So the movie we're going to recommend that you watch is called Jim and Andy – the great beyond featuring a very special contractually obligated mention of Tony Clifton. Yes. So this is a documentary that has come out where, uh, featuring a current interview, a re, you know, recent interview with Jim Carrey talking about his process of making man on the moon, the Milos Foreman movie where he portrayed Andy Kaufman has an enormous amount of documentary footage that they were actually shooting at the time and then supposedly the uh, the production company Universal said, nope, we're not going to allow that to be released because we think it'll damage the outcome of the, how people will receive Man on the Moon. We think it's going to make Jim Carrey, the star, look like a huge jerk or another word that he uses that is a lot less nice yes. for that. Um, so it was shelved and never had been seen anywhere. Um, I think this film is fascinating because I'd kind of wondered what's been happening to Jim Carrey and had never really 
thought much about him seriously as an actor. I thought he was good in Truman Show. Um, but, you know, his living color stuff never really resonated with me and never really took him seriously, I guess, in some aspects. And seeing him talk about, it's not just about Man on the Moon, it is, but it's more about his entire career. Well, that's what I was really interested in. Is I, I, was, I was impressed with how much of this documentary spent following Jim Carrey's career and his mental progression through mm-hmm. roles and kind of where he is now compared to where he felt like he had to be in show business before. Right. So yes, it is about the making of the film man on the moon, but it was just as much about what's been going on with Jim Carrey and give you a lot more insight to where his brain is on projects he's working on and where he is in regards to show business right now. Yeah. yeah and, <laughs> um, and learning about how seeing a parallel between Andy Kaufman's career and Jim Carrey's career, just some very interesting parallels that seem to, you know, that are there. Yeah. Um, can't recommend it enough. Um, and Alan and I have been discussing a little off air. Some of the documentary footage you kind of sometimes can't tell is some of it kind of staged to give you a certain impression that things are as chaotic or were they really chaotic and you kind of don't know where that line is. And I think that's kind of the intention and the genius I mean, of it. It all. could be this entire film is just a completely fabricated view of how this movie was made. Right. Because you don't know. I mean, that's the, that was the whole thing with Andy Kaufman. You, you never knew the intention was never that, that anything was not authentic. And if you saw people fighting, if you saw Andy Kaufman fighting with one of the pro wrestlers, it was an authentic fight and he really was provoking things and really was making things happen. Right. Come to find out that wasn't really the case. And it was much more of a act that was put together. We just don't know if this whole thing we're watching this behind the scenes footage that was shot during the making of this movie was an act or if it truly was, Jim was really trying to provoke anger, annoy the people around him. Either way, it doesn't matter. It's, you know, what we're watching is the, combined effect of what they put together um i I love films and documentaries about hollywood and about the making of films so yeah this is right away i started watching i'm like i'm sucked in this is interesting i I will say um my only negative feedback on is i think i think it spins its wheels a little bit more for a longer period of time than maybe i'd like for it to i I feel like it just kind of keeps repeating a lot of the same things it's more and more footage of jim carrey being uh kind of abusive or as these characters behind the scenes. And after a while, it just, it felt like it just kind of kept going through the motions over and over and over again, but it was still fascinating to watch. It's mm-hmm. just, I felt like they could have probably told us everything we need to know from this, like in less than an hour, but it got stretched out to, you know, an hour and a half or so. Um, that's my only feedback is I felt like some things got a little repetitive after a while, but that being said, I think it's fascinating. And I definitely think it's worth checking out. No doubt about it. If you have any interest at all in, Jim Carrey as an actor, show business and how these you know films are, uh, what's going on behind the scenes. If you're at all interested in Andy Kaufman, I actually think I got more enjoyment watching this than I did the actual movie Men on the Moon. Well, I liked Men on the Moon, but something about it to me felt a little off and I just don't know what. Yeah. Um, or I guess maybe my expectations were too high, but I want to see it again now after seeing this documentary for sure. And I think interesting at one point, you don't know whether it was true or not. Cause like we said, a lot of stuff you don't, 
but maybe some of the idea was that some of this behind-the-scene footage was actually going to be dropped into the movie itself. Man which would have been Moon, really interesting. Which would have been, it would have broken all sorts of, like, conventions. It would have been really fascinating. Um, I actually think watch this movie first and then yeah. watch Man on the Moon. I think that's the way to do it because I think you watch Man on the Moon, you don't get I, it. It doesn't. It did not impact me as much as I wanted it to when it first came out. But now I want to see it because I want to see the culmination of what I just saw them making. I want to see what it actually ended up like on screen. I can see it. So maybe in a way, kind of a double recommendation: just yeah. watch Jim and Andy the Man on the Moon first, and then watch the actual film Man on the Moon. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I agree. I think it's interesting. I think it's worth checking. And I love it that it's. On Netflix and again available something you can watch at any time, um, and I mean that's the thing is a documentary like this we would not have been able to see easily if it wasn't for online streaming services like Netflix. Yeah, because this isn't going to be released into a theater. It's not going to come out on a wide release. Yeah. It never would have come to our part of the country here. But on Netflix, we can see it at the same time everybody else does, which is really cool. Right. So. All right, so Jim and Andy, the Great Beyond, featuring a very special contractually obligated mention <laughs> of Tony Clifton. On Netflix, we do recommend, both of us recommend yeah. checking that out and then following it up with watching the uh, Milo's Foreman movie, Man on the Moon, to see how it all kind of works together. That'd be a great, that's a great thing to do over the holidays. That's yeah. a good like three to four hours of some good entertainment time to watch. So, yeah. all right. Well, Chris, we have come to the end of the show. We had our two film reviews of Justice League. <laughs> Justice League. And we also reviewed the film Mudbound, which we are very enthusiastic about. Uh, We had some movie news items, and then we ended up with our recommendation of Jim and Andy, the documentary on Netflix. Chris, people that have listened to the show either have some feedback for us, or if they want to help answer my question of, should we be worried about Michael (laughs) Fassbender? If people have some thoughts or ideas on that, how should they reach out to us and contact us? Easiest way is to send us an email at info at the TV and just mention foot candle films in the subject line. And like Alan said, give us your thoughts on Mr. Fassbender. Um, hopefully there's some stuff coming down the pipeline for him. He's a very talented actor. Uh, Alan and I also both have accounts on letterboxd where we kind of try to keep up with the diary of the movies that we're seeing sometimes we write really short reviews on there that's something else you can do to kind of keep in contact with the show and as alan mentioned at uh the mesh.tv we also have back episodes where you can go back and hear previous episodes of the show so please do so yeah that's right so we appreciate any feedback and thoughts and questions as always with the show and again feel free to go back and check out any old episodes or go and subscribe so you can make sure you get all new episodes going forward So with that, we'll be coming back with another episode very soon where we review some other films and news and talk through some recommendations. But until then, uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpaltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.